just as at creation the holy Ruach brooded over the waters, even still it is the Spirit of God that illuminates God's Word and enlivens our worship. So let us worship God, saying, Come, Holy Spirit. the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in God's works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. May my meditation be pleasing to God, for I rejoice in the Lord. Holy Spirit, with astonishment we see that you renew our strength constantly. Allow us not to forget your presence even in adversity. And in our turn, we will renew our gratefulness and will sing your praise and our thanksgiving for your love. You may be seated. 
grace to you and peace, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary today and also those worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. Because it is in the name of the Lord that we gather, our word of welcome is one extended with no qualifying adjectives attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and therefore all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, kindly to sign the friendship pad, which you will find on your pew. We ask you to sign it even if you are the only person on your pew, because that is our means of contact tracing these days in the event that we would need to alert you to anything in your midst in worship. I'd like to highlight a few things from the, uh, sorry, before we move to that, I'd like to invite you to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this hour of worship. That time of fellowship takes place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which you may access by going out this door to my right down a short ramp, and there you will find that our deacons have prepared a unusually festive fellowship hour, which brings me to my first announcement. Today, we celebrate belatedly, because it happened during the middle of the pandemic, the 15th anniversary of Andrew Sin coming to be our director of music here at First Church. We wanted to get that in before we celebrate his 16th anniversary, so we are celebrating that today, and we ask everyone to come and to share that time of celebration with us as we honor Andrew for his now 15, going on close to 16 years of ministry here at First Church. I'd also like to highlight a few things from the back of your bulletin for your particular attention. The first is to note that after we go to Fellowship Hour and, and wish Andrew well, our TNTs, our 20s and 30s, are going to brunch. So find Annie Lecluse after worship if you'd like to join in that. I'd note as well that this is our final choral evensong before the summer break. That service will be here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock today. I look forward to seeing you back here for worship at 4 o'clock. You'll note as well that uh, new members class needed to be rescheduled uh, a few weeks ago for reasons related to this lovely footwear that I'm wearing, and it will be rescheduled. So if you would like to be part of that new members class, whether you have worshipped with us a week or two or a year or two or a decade or two, we would love to welcome you into the fellowship that is First Presbyterian Church. Just reach out to me in the church office and I'll make sure we include you in the scheduling of that class. With all of these things noted, let us continue to worship God with our confession of sin. The Spirit has gathered us together for worship. As we come before our loving God, let us confess the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone that cause us to stray from God's desires for us. Eternal God, Remind us of our baptism as we prepare to come to your table. Remind us how you gave the gift of your very own self for us. Remind us how the Holy Spirit came to be our advocate and to offer us sustenance. Remind us how you have upheld your people in every age. Remind us of the saints and martyrs who went before us. And as we remember all these things, we remember all that you were our source of all wholeness, all goodness, and all hope. Therefore, we are not afraid to acknowledge our sin before you. Forgive us, we pray, for what we have done and what we have left undone. Prepare our hearts to receive you as you offer yourself to us still as we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we offer our prayer. Our scripture lesson today tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, 
we are forgiven. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, in the 11th chapter. Now the whole earth had one language, and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the whole face of the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Here ends our first reading. In the 20th century, there was a well-known dialogue between two towering thinkers, Emmanuel Levinas and Jacques Derrida. The way it would go would be Levinas would make a statement regarding God, and then Derrida would bedevil his thinking by taking apart his language, specifically his language regarding God. Derrida would regularly note that because God is absolute, any language that we use will necessarily be reductionist and thereby do violence to the concept of God. He is, of course, right, but we humans need language to describe the infinite and ineffable, however flawed our language may at times be. Now, you have probably already noticed that when I write prayers for our usage, I avoid pronouns for God because they invariably reduce God. You have probably also noticed that there are times when, if we wish to preserve the poetry of the original, pronouns are unavoidable. 
such as the ironic benediction with which I conclude every service. One of the challenges, of course, is not to inadvertently assign gender to God who is not defined thusly. However, again, we run into the paradox of the classical language of baptism being Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So we necessarily use language that seems to define God because that is how we understand the relational nature of the Trinity. But today, I would like to make note of one thing about the Greek text of the New Testament, and it is this. The word for Holy Spirit is feminine. So if you are inclined to use pronouns for the Holy Spirit, the correct one would be she. Our first reading comes to us now from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, reading the first 21st, or 21 verses. Listen for the word of God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire rested on them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God de God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was written through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable 
even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Pentecost has never quite managed to develop the same following as the other high holy days of the church year. The crowds just don't swell on this day dedicated to the Holy Spirit the same way they do for, say, Easter or Christmas. And that is not unique to us. I honestly don't know of any church that gives the Holy Spirit her due quite like we do the baby Jesus or the risen Christ. I have heard of some attempts, though. One of my colleagues years ago bought industrial furnace fans, those great big cylindrical fans that can power air through a whole building and arranged for an elder to plug them in at the exact moment that the scriptures read a loud rush of wind blew through the house. It didn't go exactly according to plan. Everything that wasn't nailed down blew away, including a few very nice hats. Unfortunately, also, the Bible only says that a sound like the wind rushed through the house. And likewise with tongues of fire, not of fire, but as of fire rested on each person. But nevertheless, I know of another pastor who decided that he wanted to recreate the divided tongues of fire in as vivid and creative a way as he could think of. So he went to the local fabric supply store and bought every scrap of cloth he could find that was in a shade of red, yellow, orange, burgundy, even pink, uh, any color you might find, to his mind, in a campfire. He then cut them into long, jagged lengths, and together with his co-conspirators, went to the church on Pentecost Saturday and hung these lengths of fabric vertically over all of the windows, from the ceiling, over the chancel arch, everywhere they could fit a staple gun. Ironically, he said, the end result resembled Satan's lair more than a sanctuary of Christian worship, but the congregation loved it, and an instant tradition was born. Now, as churches are wont to do, and being good Presbyterians and embracing, embracing our Scottish heritage, we waste not one penny and reuse everything. And, and fabric can be expensive, so it was all carefully stored away for use the next year. Again, at Pentecost, the sanctuary was festooned with shades of crimson. And again, the congregation loved it. And a third year, and a fourth year, and on for a decade it went. Finally, after many years of recycling the fabric, the wear was beginning to show. So when I asked him, will the Spirit's presence be heralded in the same fashion this year, he replied, I think that tradition needs to go. Those are some tired old tongues of fire. I've thought about that phrase more than once since then. Tired old tongues of fire. I thought of it with regard to some of our own well-worn ways. Some of which continue to serve us very well. A few, though, may not be necessary anymore. We will surely be unpacking, as almost every church around will be unpacking, what the pandemic has wrought for years, if not a decade to come. We have surely been forced to do new things, whether we were ready or not. And it can be tempting always to seek the allure of the new, sometimes to the exclusion of the very things that make us who we are. Some of those tired old tongues of fire are staunch workhorses that have taught us what we believe. 
old friends like the doxology and the Lord's Prayer. If you look at the catechisms, you'll see that not just generations, but hundreds of years of Christians have learned what they believe through the words of the Lord's Prayer. And maybe they aren't the freshest horse in the stable, but they sure are reliable. They sure do tell us a lot about God. They provide the framework on which much of our faith hangs. Maybe there are a few tired old tongues of fire that we need to appreciate anew. And of course, there's a flip side to that as well. Churches are, generally speaking, great at starting things and not so great at knowing when it is time to retire them. That is in the absence of a global pandemic. Years ago in Indianapolis, I inherited a Sunday school class of young adults that frankly struggled to make. I was told that it had been a bright light for many years for its participants, but their life circumstances had changed through the years. One or two of them were still showing up on Sunday out of loyalty to what had been, but its day had clearly passed. Most of the members now attended the church's evening service. So one day I asked the question, what if this class has fulfilled its ministry the way God intended it to be? What if God wants us to spend our energy on something else? Could we do something generative if we let go of this? I just let the question sit there, and within a few weeks, they came back to me with the decision that they wanted to stop what we were doing in the morning and turn our attention to developing something at the evening service, to create something new for a new season. And within a few months of that, there were 70 young adults gathering every Sunday evening for Bible study after the church service and adjourning to the local watering hole for an hour or two of fellowship after that. That tired old tongue of fire had earned its rest. But a few years ago, I went back to Indianapolis to celebrate the retirement of a colleague of mine, and I saw some old friends from that group, and I asked them, how's it going? And they said, well, there are still three or four of us that meet, but the energy has gone out of it. All the folks have children now, and they go to the Saturday evening service. And I said, well, I wonder if something new is struggling to be born. Tired old tongues of fire is, of course, a metaphor, both positive and negative for the church. But I wonder sometimes, do you think the Holy Spirit ever gets tired also? It's never-ending, the call to sustain the church in working to speak its word of good news year in and year out, regardless of whether we are excited or perhaps bored in the moments of joy, but likewise and perhaps even more importantly in the moments of tragedy. Today, when we awakened to news of violence in our own beloved city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, I found myself reminded of something my friend Tom said a few years ago. Sometimes we wonder, how can we go on amid the devastation and tragedy in our lives? The answer is that the Holy Spirit will walk alongside us even within us, and will give us the strength to move forward one step at a time. And the good news of the gospel is that when times seem the darkest and bleakest, that is when the Holy Spirit is closest to us. will never, ever let us go. This tongues of fire, that marker of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, 
the ways we seek to see the Holy Spirit, they all may become tired or ignored or even wrong to the circumstances and the time. But the Holy Spirit never stops brooding over creation, breathing the quickening power of God into that which separates light from darkness, chaos from order, water from dry ground. The sustaining work of God never stops. I don't suppose the Spirit really gets tired, but I do know this. God knows what makes us tired. Think of that on a day like today. God knows what makes us tired. God knows because God has lived it. God has been here and God has done this. God knows. God knows the depths of human violence. God knows the depths of human pain. God knows the depths of human sadness. And God's care is not confined to that which you or my I might term spiritual, because God knows the whole messy, creative, fun, challenging, angry, and yes, frankly, at times, tiresome fullness of you and me, and the tiresome fullness of what we encounter in, in daily life. And God knows it, and God wants it, and God loves it. Because God loves us and won't give up on us. And since the church, of course, is just an aggregate of people who are by ourselves, by turns, messy, creative, fun, challenging, angry, and yes, at times tiresome, God knows the church, and God wants the church, and God loves the church, and God won't give up on the church either. Indeed, it is the church that God gave to the world to keep the incarnation of Christ going, manifest in creation as the body of Christ, because God knows the world needs some incarnation. Again, my friend Tom put it this way, God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. One of the ways that we as Christians serve as peacemakers in the world is to show up in times of tragedy and incarnate God's love to others in simple acts of service. He then goes on to recount a particular act of kindness that was witnessed following the bombing in the Manchester arena years ago. A homeless man who was knocked to the floor by the force of the explosion did just that. Chris Parker was hanging around the venue in Manchester to ask concertgoers for spare change when the bomb exploded. He ran in to see who he could help and ended up cradling a dying woman in her 60s who died in his arms as he sobbed. And in a world where hard times seem to come with regularity, our calling as the followers of the Prince of Peace is to be the incarnation of the love of God in the midst of everything. And when we get frustrated and tired and can't do it anymore, the Holy Spirit, our advocate, strengthens, guides, and comforts us with sighs too deep for words. And so as we celebrate again the gift of the church to humankind, our call remains, even now, even still, even here, especially now, especially still, especially here. The call remains for the church to be 
the body of Christ. And who knows, maybe we will even find that there is some life yet in those tired old tongues of fire. What is going to be new for you this year? As God is calling the church bravely to continue forward, what will you do? How will you move beyond the pew? In our recent book discussion on climate change, I absolutely loved that our teacher, Doug O'Malley, asked each person participating in the book group to make an action plan for what we would do as people of faith in response to climate change. He asked the question and gave us a week to think about it. So what's your action plan for expressing faith this year? How will your faith take flight? Maybe you can't answer those questions this very second. That's fine. Just give them a little thought. Take a week. Write something down. The answer is very important. And it is for no one more important than it is for you. But with that said, remember this. The Holy Spirit is always in those tongues of fire. Whether they are tired or fresh, old or new. And get this. The Spirit has been pushing us forward whether we wanted it or not, all along. The Spirit turns some, frankly, rather lackluster disciples into the building blocks of the church. The Spirit kept faith alive in the catacombs during the empire and in the monasteries during the Dark Age. Ages. The Spirit blew through the church in 1517 with 95 theses and in 1536 with the institutes and pushed the Reformation all the way up into the highlands and then across the sea to a new world where the Spirit called this church into being in 1698. And eight short years later, the Spirit birthed American Presbyterianism through the witness of this very congregation. The Spirit has always been alive and is always moving. The Spirit blew through the church to stand against slavery, and the Spirit blew through the church to stand for women. The Spirit blew through the church to change the ordination standards of the PCUSA so that we were welcoming the persons who are LGBTQIA, and also the Spirit blew through the church for the sake of marriage equality. The Spirit is always moving. The Spirit is moving now. And so I would ask you one question as the Spirit is on the move right here, right now, and it is this. What is she going to do with you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Moved by the Spirit, let us together confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God's Spirit is among us, making all things new. Let us participate in this new creation by offering our gifts to God.
Let us pray. Eternal God, for the fruit of the earth, for the fruit of our labors, we give you thanks, except we ask these offerings that we make, that they may be pleasing in your sight, and that we might see your kingdom at work among us through the use of them. Through Christ our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at this table where Christ, even now, is the unseen host. We read from the pages of Scripture that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord as he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them and their eyes were opened. It is even still to this table that we are invited to come and to know our Lord. This table is not a Presbyterian table. It doesn't even belong to the church. It belongs to none but our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you, to come to this joyful feast. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe. With the majesty of your hand, you shaped this world and all that is in it. By your Holy Spirit, you breathed life into human form and set us on the earth to praise and serve you. When we wandered from your ways and were lost in sin's wilderness, your truth burned in the hearts of prophets who called your people to return to the path of righteousness. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son to be our deliverer. In every age, your Holy Spirit has led us in your ways. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place, who forever sing to the glory of your name. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. At his baptism by John, your spirit came with gentle wings, settling on him your blessing. In the wilderness of temptation, your spirit stood by with power. In his life and ministry, your spirit led him to serve the poor, proclaim freedom from sin's bondage, open eyes with faith's sight, and befriend the friendless and the outcast. In all he did and said, he announced the coming of your saving might. By his death on the cross and rising from the tomb, he broke the power of death and led the way to eternal life. Ascended to rule from on high, Christ prays for us and promises the coming of peace and power. So remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. 
By your spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Lord, there are so many things that we lift up to you this day. You know the hurts of the world. But we especially lift up those killed and wounded last night in our own city in the shootings. And those impacted, those family members, those bystanders. We lift up all whose lives are impacted by gun violence across our nation, who grieve and yearn for a safer day. And we also lift up those whose lives are impacted by natural disasters, the wildfires in New Mexico, the flooding in Florida, and so many other places. By the fire of your spirit, O God, forge us into one church, many and different people, together in Christ's embrace. Set our hearts aflame with a love for the truth and a desire to do your will that our witness to Christ may burn brightly in lives of joyful discipleship. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in the Holy Church, now and forever. Hear these prayers along with the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus had gathered for supper with his disciples, with his friends. And he took the bread and gave thanks to God for it, and broke it, and shared it, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God. For the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray. Gracious God, may we who have received this sacrament live in the unity of your Holy Spirit, that we may show forth your gifts to all the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now go as God's beloved in the sure and certain knowledge that you who have been fed at this table will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.